Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, and uh, verses 35 through 43, it says this. And as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he, the blind man, inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. Which, by the way, if someone tries to prevent your worship, just turn up the volume a little bit, you know. If someone tries to stifle your worship, just turn up the volume a little bit, all right? Because it's not about them, it's about you and God. He cried out all the more, even louder than before, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. If you're encouraged by the word today, can we give praise to God and thank him for his word? Amen. 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 This is the reading of God's words. You may be seated. Well, this morning we have the special treat to have a guest with us today, a guest speaker. Eric Hovis is with us in the house today. And um, Eric is going to be bringing the word this morning. And um, most of you do not know Eric, and so let me introduce you to him. to, uh, him to you a, a little bit. Um, Eric is um, a part of our Christmas for the City initiative. What we do at the end of each year where um, we give, uh, it's a generosity uh, initiative that we give above and beyond our regular giving um, during the Christmas season specifically to the mission of Jesus and what he is doing. And we use those funds, 100% of those funds that go outside of the bridge for ministry in our city, ministry in our nation, and ministry around the world. And this year, we are partnering with five church plants in our For the Nation category. And one of those church plants is New City Church, led by none other than Eric Hovis, who is with us here uh, today. (laughs) Eric is originally from uh, Greensboro, uh, grew up in the Triad area. He went to college at NC State. Do we have any Wolfpack fans in the house this morning? Um, Wolfpack, that was a little weak, by the way. I was expecting expecting a little bit more of a a back you up here, man. Um, um, he, he went to NC State, got a degree there. Okay, okay, you're 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 making it up. That was a charity. That was a charity. Uh, or applause. He also got a Master of Divinity from Southeastern Seminary, where I as well graduated from. And what's interesting about he and his um, wife is they answered the call for a year to serve in an internationally in a part of Asia that I probably shouldn't say because of. Uh, where it is located, but he and his family for a year served internationally uh, in an unreached area and saw significant uh, need um, in which he will be bringing the word today uh, specifically specifically on that. For the past four years, Eric and his wife and his family have been at Mercy Hill Church, which is a sister, Hill, sister church of, of ours in Greensboro, um, pastored by Andrew Hopper, who was with us here in July. You may remember him who brought the word with us. Um, He has served at Mercy Hill for the past few years. He is well. He's been in business for the last few years vocationally. And then God is calling him into um, vocational ministry to plant a church uh, next year. His wife, Kelly, is with us here today. And we're so glad to have Kelly with us. Um, 
you will hear more about her in the sermon. And then as well, there are three kids, um, Addie, who is six, Stockton, who is three, and then Millie, who is uh, 20 months old. You got your hands full, by the way. <laughs> you got your hands. Uh, people who uh, have young children in plant churches are crazy, by the way. They're just crazy. Um, but that's the only way that the mission moves forward is by crazy people like you and me. Amen. Amen. We're all, we're all a little bit crazy uh, for Jesus. And so we're excited um, to have them with us. Uh, He's going to be bringing the word for us today. I want to show you a short video of their church plant and what they're doing. We're going to be asking uh, some of you to stick around after the 11 o'clock worship gathering to hear about, to hear more. It's an interest meeting right after this to hear more about New City Church and what's happening in Tampa. And we're asking God and we're praying for several of you to join their church planting team, to move from Wilmington to Tampa, to be a part of their launch team, to see a new church started, which is how the bridge started, actually. Four years ago, that's how our church started, was by a group of people who were radical enough to believe God for big things and move their lives to see a new church started. And so we're praying and asking and believing God um, for him to do that and to join um, uh, his launch team, their launch team, and what they are doing. Um, before he comes, could we give him a little bit of a, a round of applause just to encourage him and to honor him? Yep. Amen. And then as soon as... As soon as this video is done, he'll be up to bring the word. Turn your attention to the screens. Probably seven or eight years ago, a pastor came up to me and he said, an old pastor saying, he said, there's, there's two things in life that last forever. It's the word of God and the souls of men. And so those are two things that I'm passionate about. I, I love preaching. I love teaching. God has given me a, a big desire for uh, just to reach lost people being in the Middle East and driving around, no matter where you are in the city, you hear a call to prayer to a God that doesn't exist. You realize that there just aren't enough laborers on the mission field. The third time we were in South Asia, I went out on a day trip and we went to this village. There was an interest of someone who had heard the gospel one time. We go and the only thing we did was we opened the Bible and we taught them the word of God. That week, a church was started. I didn't do anything special but show up and open the Bible. After we saw that, this very specific prayer that came on my heart was, do I believe that God could use me to plant a church to reach the nations? We came to a conclusion that this is what we need to do. Really, if it wasn't for Jesus, we would live in Greensboro forever. We have a neighborhood that we love with so many families just up and down our street. Our roots are deep here. Eric and I say all the time, we want to be able to get to the end of our life and say that we gave it all. And we didn't just live just for happiness, but we really live to see the mission of the Lord go forth. We started to think, where are their mobile people? We wanted to be in a global city and has international reach just through the city in itself. And so the more we narrowed it down, the more we we ended up on Tampa Bay. 40,000 college students at USF, one of the most popular places for millennials and young professionals to live in the United States. And it also attracts retirees. When you think of college students and young professionals and retirees, you think traditionally mobile people who are going to be able to get up and and go on long-term or short-term mission trips that people in family situations like ourselves might not be able to do. You know, part of living on mission is just being able to engage the community, and so I'm really excited about meeting people through the art scene there and hopefully create a relationship with them and invite them into our church. I'm praying for people who want to engage the sports, culture, and the music, and the arts. Wherever they live, work, and play, that's where they would engage people. They would engage the unfamiliar, to cross cultures, to cross races, to cross ethnicities, to cross lifestyles. Tampa Bay is one of the least churched areas in the United States. 
out of 51 major metro areas in the United States, Tampa Bay is ranked 50 out of 51 for church attendance. We want to see people who love the city but want to see it transformed by Christ. I think a lot of people, when they hear about a new church plant or a mission trip, they don't think about themselves being sent. They think about sending. But we actually want people to pray, like, man, what would it look like if I were the one that was sent? I'm praying for a diversity of age and a diversity of race for our team that goes down. We want to create a community of people who are devoted to one another, who love one another, who care for one another. Hebrews 13, 14 says, we seek the city that is to come. We want to be a people that long for the city that is to come where there's, there's no more pain, no more crying, no more tears. And that is our destiny. That's where we're longing to be. We want to be a people that are hungry for that. Hey, good morning, everybody. Thanks for having me here. I, I've loved being here this morning. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you. Uh, I'm I really believe that right now we are among a movement of God. I mean, God is moving in unbelievable ways among, uh, among this network, in your church, at Mercy Hill. I mean, right now we have over 20 people that have put their yes on the table and have committed to move over 10 hours away to Tampa Bay, Florida. That is, that is unreal. That is, a, that, that is, a, that is a, a movement of God. God is moving. God is working. I'm excited. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 18 today, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, and while you're turning there, um, I want to give you a little insight to me, okay? I'm married up. Like, not, not just like kind of married up. No, I really, really married up. My wife is very talented. Um, she is a gifted singer. She's a gifted artist, like you saw in the video. But she's also a really good athlete. When she was in high school, she was a starting shooting guard for a state championship basketball team. She's got articles, newspaper clippings at her house. You know, like her name, her name now is Kelly Hovis, but it was Kelly Brown. Brown saves the day, you know. So she was a great, a great athlete, a great basketball player. She knows the fundamentals. She knows the rules. Uh, she loves the game. When we were in college, we would go on dates, and we would go play basketball, right? And she would shut guys down. I mean, she would just completely lock them down, steal the ball, go, go score points, and just make guys mad, just because she would just completely lock them down. So when we, also when she got to college, she thought, I need a job. So what does she do? She says, I think I could be a referee. So she goes to training. She gets, you know, she, she gets her whistle. Very first game, she's got the whistle around her neck. It's a guy's basketball game. They're playing. It's really intense. She blows the whistle. She makes the call. They start screaming and yelling at her. She looks at him. She looks at them. She takes off her whistle. Says, I ain't doing this. <laughs> she walks off the court. She just completely walks off the court. Right? There is a difference between knowing the game and knowing the, ru and knowing the rules and refereeing the game. Right? You can know the game, but refing the game and putting the whistle around your neck is a completely different story. There is a distinct difference between knowing about something and actually doing it. Having knowledge about something is necessary to do something, but without the experiencing of doing it, actually doing it, is the difference of mastering it. You can never master it. So the same thing is true of the Christian life. There's a distinct difference between knowing about God and actually following God and trusting God. 
There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and having faith in Jesus. One will change you, the other will not. One will make you new, the other will not. One will save you, the other will not. So here's the big idea for today. Knowledge of Jesus is necessary for the Christian life, but faith is essential to the Christian life. Knowledge is necessary, but faith is essential. That's what we're going to look at today in Luke 18, starting in chapter 30, starting in verse 35. So if you have your Bible, look at, look at uh, Luke 18 with me. I'm going to read it along. As he, that, that Jesus, that's being Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. When he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to him, gave praise to God. Knowledge and faith, right? Both are important. Both are necessary for the Christian life but one is essential to the Christian life. I think this is important for us to understand. The difference between knowledge and faith is action. Faith is revealed through action. The difference between knowing about God and having faith in God is action. It's doing it. It's experiencing it. It's actually putting the whistle around your neck and refereeing a game. Faith faith is experiencing the knowledge that you know. It's trusting it. It's acting on it. Again, knowledge is necessary, but faith is essential. That's just what we saw from the blind beggar. Think about this in a little bit more depth. Jesus was on his way to Jericho, okay? It was his last stop. He had 18 miles to go. He was about to be the savior of the world. It was this home stretch. He was about to go to the cross and become the savior. But what happened? A blind man comes out, a lowly beggar on the side of the street, he starts screaming at Jesus, saying, have mercy on me. He starts screaming at Jesus. I mean, just try to imagine the scene here, right? Think about this blind man for a second. Think about this man's story leading up to this moment. That morning, he woke up just like he did every other morning. He shook off the straw off his shabby robe, right? He He felt his way through the city. He was feeling the walls, smelling the cows that he smelt every morning, morning after morning, hearing the kids laughing and screaming. I mean, his his senses had to be heightened, right? He's going to the same entrance gate where he went morning after morning. He gets his cloak. He throws it down. Uh, He sits there, and he hears the city. He hears the city continue to wake up. He's hearing the the camels, the clunk of the camel's hooves kind of walking by. Again, he's hearing that stuff. He's smelling the fire as people start to make breakfast, right? Cooking their eggs. Maybe making some Cheerios, I don't know. 
And then he, he lifts up his head. He hears, he hears the crowd approaching him, and hears the little boys running around, scurrying, wondering what's going on. And a lot of people have said this is more of a, an ovation. It was a large crowd. And he hears all of it, and he, he, hear, he feels the ground rumbling beneath him, and he asks, what in the world is going on? You know what they say to him? This is what they say. It's Jesus of Nazareth. See, the crowd knew this guy named Jesus. They knew who it was. They knew that he'd healed lepers before, that he had uh, helped the sick and the hurting. And they knew that this guy named Jesus had performed miracles. And they may have even known that he was considered to be the Messiah. But this blind man, it's obvious from this text that he also knew who this guy named Jesus was. In fact, if you look back at the text, this is really interesting. The crowd said, hey, this is Jesus of Nazareth. But what does the blind man say? He says, Jesus, the son of David. The blind man knew that this was not just the Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, but it was Jesus, the son of David. This was the Messiah. This was the Savior. This was the long-awaited king. You see, the crowd had knowledge of Jesus. The blind man also had knowledge of Jesus, but because the blind man had knowledge of Jesus, he was given the opportunity. He was given the opportunity to be healed, and his life could be changed. See, knowledge of Jesus was necessary for the blind man's life to be changed. He had to have the knowledge to be changed. If he did not know that Jesus, if he didn't know that this Jesus guy was the Messiah, he would have just, it would have just been another large crowd passing by him. Just another, every, just a crowd going by him, but because he knew that this was Jesus, his life was changed. It changed him. He had the opportunity to be changed. Now let's think about this for a second. We can have the knowledge that Jesus died on the cross for our sin. We can have the knowledge that Jesus rose from the dead, that Jesus loves us, that Jesus cares for us. We can know that, Christian, that, that prayer is important to the Christian life and that the Bible is also important. We can know all of these things, and in fact, it's necessary to know these things. But with that said, I have two very simple basic points that I want us to look at today. And on the, the back half of this, I want to share more of how all of this leads up to the burden and the vision of New City Church, of why we're actually planting a church in Tampa Bay, Florida. So the first point is this. Knowing about Jesus is necessary to be a Christian, but it does not make you a Christian. Like I said earlier, there's a distinct difference between knowing about Jesus and having faith in Jesus. One will change you, the other will not. One will make you new, the other will not. There is a difference between knowing about basketball and actually refing a basketball game. In the same way, simply knowing about Jesus does not make you a Christian. It's necessary, but it's incomplete. There's an essential element to being a Christian, and that's this, which brings us to our second point. Faith in Jesus is essential to the Christian life. Now, let's, let's kind of go back and remember part of this story, okay? Remember, Jesus was on his way to Jericho. He, was, he, was, he stopped because this blind man was yelling at him. But look at what the blind man was yelling at. Look what he said, verse 38 and 39. He said, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
have mercy on me. He was crying out to God. He was calling him the Savior, essentially, begging God for mercy. Not just once, but he insisted. He insisted. He did it twice. He refused to listen to the crowd. He knew this was his one chance, that this was the God of the universe, and that if he was ever going to be able to see again, this was the guy that could make it happen. He knew it. He knew that he could, he could heal him. I mean, his level of commitment at this point was undeniable. All right, if you just think about this, I mean, his, his reputation at this point, his reputation was at, at stake. I mean, he's a blind guy on the side of the street. He, 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 he needs help from these people, and he's screaming out, making this big scene, and they tried to shut him down. It was, this was a, a little bit of a turning point for him. I mean, you may have experienced something like this or seen someone like this maybe at a wedding when everyone kind of wants to dance, but no one wants to be the first person on the dance floor, right? Or at like a, at a sporting event when you, you want to you cheer for your team, you want to start a chant maybe, and as soon as you start the chant, what's going to happen? Is anybody going to follow me? I don't know, right? It, it's, at this point, there is a fine line between leader and straight-up lunatic, Right? You are just screaming at the top of your lungs, being a complete fool, or you're a leader. Right? There's a turning point here. So if everyone follows you, it goes really well. But if not, eh, not so much. Right? So what happens here? What happens here? The blind beggar yelled out that he was at the turning point. If his reputation, his lifeline were at, on, at, at stake. But for him to cry out like this, this the second time, it showed something. It revealed something. It revealed something about what he actually believed about this guy named Jesus. He believed it. He believed it in his bones that this was the Messiah. He had confidence that this was the Messiah. He was okay looking like a fool because he knew that he could be healed. He didn't just know about Jesus, but his life and reputation on the line because of his faith in Jesus. He didn't just want to know Jesus, he wanted to experience Jesus. He wanted to be changed by Jesus. He wanted to trust Jesus. Then Jesus came to him in verse 41. He says, what do you want me to do for you? You know why Jesus asked this question? This is what I think. I think Jesus asked him this question because he wanted to give him the opportunity to put his faith into action. He asked Jesus in faith to heal him. He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. I cannot see. Let me recover my sight. You can heal me. He revealed his faith. He asked him to do something that only God could do. No one else. Only God. And what did Jesus say after he asked him? Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has changed you. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you new. You see, we can know about God, but faith says we depend on God. Knowledge of the gospel is necessary. Knowledge about what Jesus did on the cross is necessary, but faith recognizes you can't have true life without the gospel. Faith says you orient your life according to the gospel. Knowledge says, I know what the Bible says, 
Faith says, I can't live without God's help. Knowledge says, I know how to pray. Faith says, I'm completely dependent on God, so I pray. Again, knowledge is necessary, but faith is essential. Do you know what the greatest part of this story is? It's the very end. At least that's my opinion. Look at verse 43. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. There was joy. There was praise. There was excitement. Think about this. I mean, this man had been blind for years. He had never seen the color blue. He had never seen a rainbow, right? He had never seen a bird, right? He had never seen a flower, but what's the very first sight he saw when he, was, when, his, when he recovered his sight? The face of Jesus. I long for that day when we can stand and look at the face of Jesus and say, here I am, right? Here I am. With our faith in Jesus, we can experience the same joy, the same praise, the same excitement. But there's something different that, that we have today that they didn't have then. We, they were able to see the face of Jesus, but we're able to experience the indwelling presence of Jesus. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of, inside of us. He changes us. God lives inside of us, and he makes us new. He makes us a new creation. We have hope. We have something to live for. We have a plan and a purpose because Jesus lives inside of us and is changing us. We have a great privilege, a great joy. We can praise God. Amen? That can be found in our faith, but there is a massive problem. And I want to take a bit of a sharp turn here, because here's the problem. If knowing Jesus is necessary to experiencing the power of God, if knowledge always precedes faith, this is the problem. Half the world's population has no knowledge of Jesus. None. No knowledge that can lead to faith. No joy no life change, no praise, no glory, nothing. The blind man in the story, he knew about Jesus simply because of his location. Others around him had spoken about this guy named Jesus. He had knowledge of Jesus that led him to faith. Because he was in his location, because of the people around him, because of how he heard it, he was able to experience faith. He had the opportunity to be changed by this guy named Jesus. This is, this is alarming, okay? There are seven, over 700 groups of people in the world, seven, over 700 people groups that have absolutely nobody to tell them about Jesus. Nobody. There's no chance for a large crowd of people to walk by them and to, sh- to talk about this guy named Jesus. There's nobody there, zero, none. And this is what the hard part is. In order for them to understand who Jesus is, someone has to learn the language and the culture. That would be like me trying to explain to you a board game, but in order for you to understand the board game, you have to have read the entire series of Harry Potter, and you need to know Russian, right? So that is a major problem, right? You have to know Russian, and you have to have read the whole book. You have to know the language And you need to know the culture in order for them to understand the gospel, in order for them to have knowledge of Jesus. 
That's a problem. So me and my wife, we were missionaries in Central Asia. The past four years, I've been on short-term trips to South Asia. And so I've, I've had the privilege of seeing some of these groups of people, working with some of these groups of people. And when you see these types of, when you go to these types of places, and when you see these people, right, when you, when you see a little girl come, you're, you're in a car, and you see a little girl come up and knock on your window as you're standing there at a stop sign, or at a, you're stopped, knocking on your window going, begging for food, shabby clothes, four or five years old, begging for food. And here's the problem is, if you give them food, they're going to go back and take it to their master because that little girl is a slave. She is a slave. When you see those things, global lostness gets a, a face. Global lostness gets a face. When, when you see 14-year-old little boys... 14-year-old boys going and going up to a pool of water, algae-infested water, dirty, nasty water. And the only thing that that water will do is make them sick. But you know what they think? They think because of that water, that they call it holy water. They're washing themselves, putting it in their mouth, trying to cleanse themselves of sin. When you see that, global lostness gets a mental picture burnt into your brain. You cannot unsee that. Then when you see, you see a bunch of grown men huddled around an incense, smelling these incense, trying to appease a God that does not exist. When you see those things, global lostness gets a smell. It gets a smell. When you have friends, when you go to these places and you make friends, and they pray to a God Five times a day that does not exist. Five times a day to a God that does not exist. Global lostness gets a name. It gets a personal story. Listen, global lostness is not a statistic. Global lostness has a name, a face, and a personal story. All these people are not just numbers. They smile. They cry. They laugh. They've got dreams. They've got ambitions, they've got kids, they've got grandkids, they've got hopes and fears. They struggle with anxiety and depression and addictions. They struggle with pride and materialism and selfishness. They're just like us, they're just like our kids, our parents and our friends. They've got, they've got God-sized holes in their hearts. But then, when you go to one of these villages that has never heard the name of Jesus ever. They have, they have no knowledge of Jesus. They hear a different story. And they hear a different paradigm. They hear the gospel. They hear the good news. They hear that it's not up to them. They hear that it's not out of their, they can't do anything, they can't be changed out of their own strength. That it's not their own willpower to appease their God. It's not up to them to be changed but it's up to Jesus that came down to the earth and did everything necessary to save them. It's, not, it's nothing they've done, but it's everything that Jesus did. That Jesus came down to earth, not just to save them, but to give them a plan and to give them a purpose. That Jesus came to fill that God-sized hole in their heart. And after three days of hearing this, a church was birthed. 
a church was birthed, not because of anything special that was done. I didn't do anything special. We did nothing special. The only thing that was special, there was one thing that was special. They heard the name of Jesus. They had knowledge. They had a new knowledge about Jesus, and they put their faith in Jesus, and they trusted Jesus. The Spirit of God moved, and it birthed a church. And then at the end of that week, when you go to the top of a mountain, and as far as the eye can see, as far as you can see, 78 million people, tens of thousands of villages, 78 million faces, 78 million names, dreams, aspirations, life struggles, they all need to hear so they can have knowledge of Jesus. They cannot have faith without knowledge. And they can't have knowledge if they do not hear. It's exactly what Paul says in Romans 10. Follow along with me here. Starting in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How will they believe? How will they know? They need to hear. How will they hear? And people like you and people like me go and tell them. That's how they hear. When we look at that, when we hear these things, when we wrestle with these things, Luke 10 too, put some flesh on it. Look at this. The harvest is plentiful, is what it says in Luke 10. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And what does it say right after that? It says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Without a doubt, we need more laborers among the unreached. We need more people to tell the story of Jesus, to share with more people like Raul, and with people like Abdul, and with people like Ursultan, that had never heard about Jesus until someone came and shared with them. We need more people here to go there. Maybe, maybe, and I believe this, I believe this, maybe right now God is calling some of you calling you to go, to move your life to a place that has little to no access of the gospel. At the very least, at the very least, I would challenge everyone in this room to at least go on a short-term mission trip. I would challenge you to consider that. Don't dwell on it. Don't make excuses. Go. If you have not been on a short-term mission trip, you need to go. There's a good chance that God may want to change you in the process, to work on your heart and your life in the process. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray for more laborers. But beware. (laughs) Beware. God may want to send you. This is the burden. This is the burden. This is why we're planting a church in Tampa Bay, Florida. This is why we're planting, a, we're planting New City Church because three years ago, standing on top of that mountain in South Asia, after a church was birthed in a small village, I believe God gave us a very specific prayer, and it was this. Do we believe that God could use us to plant a church to reach the nations? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. We need more laborers. 
we need more people to go to the unreached. So we started praying, God, is this what you have for us? Is this what you have for our family? How can we leverage our life? How can we leverage our gifts for your glory? And something, something me and my wife, Kelly, we have always, we've been saying to each other for years. We want to, when we get to the end of our life, when we get to the end of our life, we want to look back and say, God, I gave everything. I leveraged it all. We, we want to say that everything was used for the mission of God. And if it's planting a church in the United States, then have your way with us. Right? Have your way with us. So we started praying. We started fasting. We started seeking the Lord. We started seeking discernment of those around us. We started taking steps. We started praying, God, where do you want us to go? Right? Where do you want us to plant a church? So we had an open map. And honestly, there wasn't a super spiritual moment for us at this point. God didn't write it in the sky. You know, we, we didn't know. So we just, we, we thought about it more practically. We wanted to be in a strategic place. And we wanted to be in a place that had a significant need. That was kind of how we thought about it. Super basic, super simple. If we wanted to be a, in a sending, if we wanted to be a sending church, if we want people to go to the un, un, unengaged and unreached, then it would be really helpful if we were near a major college university. Right? And it would also be really helpful if we were in a, in a, global, in a, in a global economy, economy in a place where it had, that had international business that could take the gospel through international business as well. So Tampa Bay, it made the short list. And if I'm being honest, most of the places that we looked at were no, near, near the coast. We just like the beach. right? So that's just kind of where we are. And also, none of them, actually, absolutely zero of them, we're in places that had long winters. That's just, we just didn't go for it. So we started praying, right? We started praying, and it became very clear out of all the places that we looked at that God had given us the biggest vision for Tampa Bay. To see God take what, to see, to see the need and to see what God could do in a place like Tampa Bay. So listen to this. There's, there's 3.1 million people that live in the Tampa Bay metro area. Last year alone, 55,000 people moved to the Tampa Bay area. In the next several years, they're expecting over 200,000 people to move to Tampa Bay. That is almost the, the population of Greensboro ascending onto the Tampa Bay area in the next several years. There, and there's a lot of good churches in Tampa Bay, but there's 3.1 million people. If I, if I give a very, very generous estimate and say that there are 300,000 Christians in the Tampa Bay area, there are still 2.8 million people have not trusted Christ. 2.8 million people are still without Christ. USF, right? University of South Florida. There are 150 nations represented at the University of South Florida. It's considered one of the top two. It's the top two percent in diversity in the country. We're using that as a strategic area because we want to try to reach. We've been praying that our church would have a diversity of age and a diversity of race. We're praying that. We're praying that if something were ever to happen to our church, that we love our city so well, that if something were ever to happen to our church, that the city would mourn with us. That's what we're praying. We're praying that lives would be radically changed and transformed. We're praying that prostitutes would become prayer warriors, drug addicts would become disciple makers, convicts would become church planners, racists would become racially reconciled, the greedy would become generous, and those on the sidelines would be sent out all over the world into the mission of God. 
Brothers and sisters, we are praying there would be a new city in Tampa Bay, and ultimately that we would be a people that long for the new city that is to come, where there is no more crying, no more tears, no more death, and that where every tribe and tongue and language and people are falling on their faces, worshiping God. We want to be a people that say, this is not our home, that we live for another world, right? We live for a different city. We live for the city that is to come. Brothers and sisters, that is our vision. That is the vision of New City Church, and this is our very simple vision statement. New City Church exists to see Jesus change lives and to reach the world. Maybe right now God is calling you to move to Tampa Bay and be part of New City Church. I just want you to consider. Would you consider joining us, moving with us, being a laborer with us? Could you give Two years of your life to help spark a movement, to help spark a movement of God. We are praying for laborers. Would you pray for us, and would you please pray with us for more laborers? So I want to close with this. Let's go back to this story, okay? The blind beggar, his life was radically changed because he encountered Jesus. He encountered Jesus. He was blind, but he trusted Jesus. He encountered Jesus and he could see. The blind man moved from crying in desperation as a beggar to crying out in worship, changed by the king. His life was forever changed because the beggar knew about Jesus and he had faith in Jesus. And I want to ask you this one simple question. Is that true of you today? Do you simply know about Jesus or have you put your faith in Jesus? The beggar's life was changed because Jesus made time for him. The beggar's life was changed because Jesus stopped for him. He made space for him. Jesus drew near to him. So, here's the, here's the beauty of all of this. He's done the same thing for you. And he's done the same thing for me. He drew near us. He made space for us. He came to us. And so, because Jesus came to us, because Jesus drew near to us, we draw near to those among the unreached. We are drawing near to those in Tampa Bay, Florida. We draw near to those that we love, to our neighbors, to our families, to our friends, to our coworkers. We draw near because Jesus has drawn near to us. Let's pray. Father, we ask for a great work to be done. Father, we ask that you would see people, that you would see lives changed and that we would reach the world. Father, we pray for the people in this room. We ask and we beg and we plead that these would be, this would be a people that has been marked by experiencing God, by trusting God, by knowing Jesus deeply and intimately, that they would say that they have put their faith in Jesus, and that because of that, they would be sent out among their friends, their neighbors, their coworkers, and maybe some among the unengaged and the unreached. Father, we ask for your glory. We ask this right now in Jesus' name. Amen.